Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Last time we were in 1 Peter, we looked at the distinguishing mark of the Christian, which is persevering love. And today we will look at the topic of growing up in Christ. And uh, I will never understand the sacrificial love of a mother. A mother has to bear a child in the womb for, for nine months and then go through the pains of, of labor and delivery. And then after a woman is able to go home, they ask the woman to return like the following day. Uh, this was in my experience with our kids. Uh, I think it's madness to have to return to the hospital after a woman goes through the pain of childbirth. But there's an important reason of why we have to return to the hospital for uh, the nurses you know will take the baby's weight to see if the baby is growing. And they will ask you to come a month later, two months later, six months later. And every time you go to see the doctor, the first thing they will do is to measure the height. They will weigh the baby, and the purpose of that is a really important reason to see if the baby is growing. You see, a sign of health and life is growth. That's true in nature, whether grass or plants or trees. That's true in business. You want to see increased revenues and profit in your companies, and that's true in biological and physical life. Growth is a sign of health and life, whether that's in the Christian's life or in the church's life. If we're going to be healthy Christians, we need to be growing Christians. Everyone in this room is either growing up in Christ, drifting away from Christ, or spiritually dead. That's the three categories of people in this room. You're either growing up in Christ, drifting away from Christ, or spiritually dead. And obviously, all of us want to be growing up in Christ. And that's our topic this morning. Peter shows us this morning the hindrances to spiritual growth, what is the source of spiritual growth, and what are the blessings of spiritual growth. So that's what we will look at this morning. What are the hindrances to spiritual growth? What is the means of spiritual growth? And what are the blessings that accompany spiritual growth? And just to recap, if you haven't studied First Peter, Peter in chapter 1 describes our glorious salvation in the first 12 verses of chapter 1. He reminded us that chosen exiles who were chosen by God the Father, sanctified by God the Holy Spirit, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ's Son. We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to God's great mercy. We have been given an eternal inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And though we're grieved by various trials in this life, our faith is being refined and perfected. The prophets predicted this glorious salvation. The apostles proclaimed this good news. The angels longed to look into what God has done for sinners. And in light of this good news, Peter tells us to respond by living in hope, by living in holiness, by living in godly fear, and persevering love in chapter 1, verse 22. And today we look at the fifth command that Peter issues. And before I want to unpack that command i'm going to read chapter 1 verse 22 to set the context and then we'll go to verse 3 of chapter 2 
and we'll look at how to grow spiritually as a Christian. So if you have a Bible, or it's, if you have pew Bibles, it's uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 22, and then we'll focus on chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 in particular today. So to set the context, uh, starting in verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen to the reading of God's holy word. So first of all, what hinders spiritual growth? Notice verse 1 with me. So, notice that word so is put there for a reason, or you can translate that, therefore. Peter is pointing back to our new birth in verse 23. He's pointing back to our glorious salvation because we have been born again. again. He says, in light of your great salvation, in light, that you are born again by God's great mercies, so therefore put away these sins. Sin will hinder spiritual growth. Unconfessed sin will hinder spiritual growth. And that's why Peter says, put away these things. Very similar to the Apostle Paul, who says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, Romans 13, 14, or Ephesians 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The idea of putting off is the idea of putting off soiled clothing, putting off the dirty clothes of the flesh, and putting on the new man, putting on Christ. I've been going to the gym in the morning, uh, Monday through Thursday, and part of my routine after work up a sweat is I will go into the sauna to get more sweaty. And I will come home drenched, and the first thing I do when I come home is I will take away my sweaty clothes, put them in the, the, the laundry and take a shower and then put on new clothes. But what if I didn't take off those clothes and then I decided to lay in bed while my wife's sleeping and give her a hug. She would not like that, obviously. So you need to put away the old man. And here, the Apostle Peter gives us five community-destroying sins. All sin destroys fellowship and community, but there are some sins that hinders our love for fellow believers. They are what Jerry Bridges calls respectable sins in the church. Sins that are often tolerated in the church because they are often masked in spirituality or their attitudes in the heart that people can't read. When I'm not reading a Puritan book or reading Piper's Providence, I like to watch HDTV. I like to watch these home improvement shows and how some of these uh, people will take a, a fixer up at home and then 
uh, put on new cabinets and a new kitchen, and, and uh, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, one of the shows I watched was Renovation Island. I don't know if you've watched Renovation Island, but this couple uh, really uh, buys a beat-up um, resort, and they want to flip it to make it a nice resort that people come to. And uh, one of, the, one of the, the dramas of the show is that when they, they buy this, this new island resort and they start looking at these, these beat-up uh, bungalows and these beat-up uh, you know, uh, uh, rooms in this resort is that they begin to lift the tiles and the surface and then they find out that there are termites all underneath the surface, the tiles, that is destroying the walls and the, the ground of the resort. See, these respectable sins are like termites that eat away at the love of Christian community. And if they are not dealt with, even though they are not seen uh, externally, they will kill and rot a church. They will kill this church if it's not dealt with. Notice what Peter says, this first community-destroying sin is, is all malice. Put away all malice. It's, it's simply ill will towards another. It's a desire to harm and injure. And sadly, Christians can often be guilty of these sins. This is a general term. But let's look at some specific expressions of this term. This is put away all malice, put away all deceit. Deceit is a desire to distort, manipulate, Hide the truth. Literally, the word is bait and fishhook, to catch with bait. Christians can be guilty of, of these white lies, being loose with the truth. We can put up on front on Sunday morning, ask a fellow believer how you are doing. They may say they're doing great, but in reality, maybe they had a terrible week. Peter tells us we are to be people of the truth, people who do not manipulate the truth, hide the truth. Thirdly, he says, put away hypocrisy. Uh, we are aware of this word. Uh, I don't have to go into detail with this word. You understand hypocrisy. It's the word that is used of an actor who puts on a different mask every time there's a, a different scene. It's two-faced. He acts, ideas acting one way in private and another way in public. And Jesus had his strongest condemnation for religious hypocrites. He said in Mark chapter 7, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Hypocrisy is distasteful, especially among Christians. We, California just went through a, a recall election, and I think one of the reasons why that recall election was put up was, was because of the charge of hypocrisy where the governor was telling uh, people not to do certain things while he was doing the things that he commanded people not to do. If the world finds it distasteful, how much more the Lord Jesus Christ? John Owen, the Puritan, says, If a man teach uprightly and walk crookedly, more will fall down the night of his life than he built in the day of his doctrine. Hypocrisy, that, that really puts a blemish, harms churches. And you see so many of these celebrity pastors falling, and it's, it's damaging to the Christian witness. See, the question is, are we people marked by integrity? The word integrity 
comes from the Latin adjective integer, meaning whole or complete. It's the idea of wholeness. So who you are in private is who you are in public, and who you are in public is who you are in private. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Whatever you're hiding, eventually sin comes to the light. Put away hypocrisy. I think this is one of the most respectable sins in the church, and that's the sin of envy. This is the fourth community-destroying sin. Envy is simply weeping at other people's successes. We will often speak bad of the people we envy. So it's an attitude of resentment. Jerry Bruce's book, he, he says, envy is the painful and oftentimes resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Usually there are two conditions that tempt us to envy. First, we tend to envy those whom we most closely identify. Second, we tend to envy in them the areas we value most. See, a, a, a nurse is not going to envy an NBA basketball player. Uh, you know, uh, a pastor is not going to envy, um, you know, a college student. He's going to probably envy another pastor. And Jerry Bridges, he, he says that when we deal with envy, we need to trust God's sovereignty in the distrib- distribution of talents and gifts. And we remember that we are part of the same family. Remember that God is good and he has given, according to his wisdom, specific gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, Fred, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think social media can, can be a, a producer of envy. Man, that person went to that restaurant. <laughs> that person got to go to Hawaii in a pandemic. See, we, we, we envy the people we tend to value and identify with. I'm sure the homeschool mom is not going to envy the public school uh, mom or the public school mom is not going to envy the homeschool mom. They're probably looking at other homeschool moms or public school, whatever. So we need to be careful of that why ain't me attitude. Why does he get to do that or she get to do that? Uh, Church Covenant tells us we will rejoice with each other's successes and happiness, we will weep with those who weep. A fifth community destroying sin is slander. The Bible describes Satan as Diabolos, which is slanderer. He is one who demeans others. And we will often put down others we are critical and envious of. We must guard our tongues. Again, Jerry Bridges says, slander is making a false statement of misrepresentation about another person that defames or damages the person's reputation. Uh, You can talk about the sins of gossip. Gossip is not, I've heard it said, it's not saying something to a person's face, saying something uh, behind a person's back. You would never say to their face, while flattery is a sin of saying to someone's something to someone's face when you would never um, say that behind their back. That will kill a church. Gossip will put wedges in relationship. Might have created divisions in this church if not dealt with. Good verse to memorize is Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt 
corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So is our speech wholesome? Is it good? Does it build up? Is it at the right time? Will it give grace? See, if you want to see your church be destroyed, you let these community-destroying sins continue to fester and not deal with it. If you want your church to thrive, you need to be killing these sins in the church. I think the Lord give us, gave us the ordinances of baptism and communion. Baptism is a reminder that we have put off the old man, haven't we? It's a reminder that we have put on the new man. Communion reminds us that we are, we are one. So at our church, I, I like what Brother Paul said. He says that examine yourself before you come to the community. Time. If there is some bitterness that, that is, you're harboring, do not, don't take communion. What does Jesus say? Leave your gift at the altar. Go reconcile with your brother and then come to worship, right? So maybe take this week to examine if there is some broken relationship that you need to mend in the church. So put away these community-destroying sins if you want to see the church thrive. Those are the hindrances to spiritual growth. Sin will hinder spiritual growth, definitely. Secondly, what is the source of spiritual growth? I think one of the reasons why 2020 and 2021 was so hard is because of, instead of spending time in Scripture, most people were online. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, uh, online uh, is not necessarily sinful in itself. A live stream can take place when extraordinary circumstances like a pandemic happens. But most of us were spending significant amount of time scrolling the news, checking for updates, forced to be online since we were all home. And then anxiety was on the rise, fear was on the rise, loneliness was on the rise, depression was on the rise because we could not gather as a local church. I think I've said this before, but doom scrolling is the phrase of spending too much time on your phone looking at bad news that will lead to fear and depression. And we must be careful of what you feed your mind. This is a discipline. We need something more nutritious and life-giving. And I believe that if only Christians desire the Word of God more than what's trending on Facebook or Twitter, I think most churches will not be fractured the way they are today. Through politics, through um, whatever social issues at the time, if most believers were spending more time in the Word rather than doom-scrolling, we would be more united. Wouldn't you agree? Peter tells us like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Uh, I have a newborn, so this, this illustration is very vivid for me. The word desire is the word long for, crave, Desire the pure spiritual milk. And Peter's not talking about a newly converted believer or an immature believer who are only fed milk and need solid food like in 1 Corinthians or Hebrews. He's talking about a baby's strong craving for milk. That's why the newborn days for you mothers and fathers are so hard is because, especially if you're breastfeeding, the baby will want to eat every two to three hours. And if that baby does not eat, what does that baby do? That baby will wail and wail and wail until they get their milk. That is the imagery that Peter is using. 
You parents know that. You get no sleep the first couple months. My son, he does not get his milk. His face starts pouting. His mouth opens wide. And he will start wailing until he gets mama's milk. It's this intense, strong, reoccurring desire for milk. And that's what Peter tells us. We need to have this strong, reoccurring desire for the word of God. And notice Peter doesn't say, read the word. That's important. Study the word. That's important. Memorize, theologize, analyze the word. No, he says he gets to the fundamental heart desire. Desire the word. And if there is no desire for God's word, whether that's privately or publicly, one writer says a lack of spiritual appetite indicates a lack of spiritual life. Notice the two adjectives describing the milk. The, the word is pure and the word is spiritual. In other words, there, there are no additives. It's unadulterated. It's not watered down. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. That's why this church, that's why our church is committed to expository preaching. We want to give you the full word of God. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to subtract to it. So it's the pure word of God that you are to receive. And notice, he says spiritual. It can be translated reasonable, rational, logical. We don't turn off our minds when we study scripture. It takes time and effort to study scripture. It takes time and effort to listen to a sermon. Job 23 says, I have not departed from the commands commandment of his lips i have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food or jeremiah 15 16 your words were found and i ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for i am called by your name O lord god of hosts or psalm 19 the psalmist describes the word of god as to be more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb Remember the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? He was hungry. Uh, Satan says, if you're hungry, command these stones to become bread. And what did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the question, believer, is do you desire the word of God like an infant desires milk? In the language of the prophets or the psalmists, do you desire to eat up God's word and find it sweet to your soul? Now, I understand that this is a congregation of saints, but also real-life sinners. There are times where our desires wane for the word of God, including my own life. So, Pastor, what if my desires have become dull? Well, um, don't want to give you uh, any new information, but I just want to be very practical here, very basic. But number one, if you find that your desires are waning, number one, pray. Pray for a desire for the Word of God. John Piper uses a little acronym, I-O-U-S. Uh, in other words, he uses the Psalms, incline my heart to you, open my eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, unite my heart to fear your name and satisfy me in, with your steadfast love. That's, I believe, from the book When I Don't Desire God, which I commend to you. So pray for a desire. Number two, I think some of you don't read the word of God is simply because you don't plan well enough. Do you have time for Bible reading? Do you have 
quiet place for Bible reading? Do you have a Bible reading plan? Now, you don't have to follow my way, but I read the Bible, the McShane reading plan, with my Gospel Coalition devotional from D.A. Carson every day for the past several years of my life. So today, this morning, was 1 Samuel 22, Ezekiel 29, Proverbs 26, because it's the 26th today, Galatians 1, and Psalm 77 and 78. Every day of my life. That is the first thing I will do if I'm having a good day, I'm not checking my phone. That was the first thing I will do um, normally on any given day. Again, you don't have to read the Bible like I do. Maybe you can take a book like First Peter and just read it every day for 30 days. Maybe you can take season of life. Today's Sunday, September 26. Well, Proverbs 26. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs, a proverb a day. So maybe you just need a plan. Plan better. Number three, get creative. You know, my wife always reminds me that you always make time for the things you want to make time for, and that's absolutely true. Just look at your app on your phone. Look at Apple has a, how much time are you spending on your phone? What are you spending your time on? What apps are you spending your time on? And, and compare that with your Bible intake. I get that life and seasons happen. So sometimes you need to get creative with your Bible reading. A mom's Bible reading plan with young children is going to look different from a nurse. And a nurse Bible reading plan is going to look different from a full-time college student. So we're not being legalistic here. We're just saying that you just need to get Bible in you. Uh, Susanna Wesley, uh, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, she had 10 children. God bless her. You know how she did her devotions? She would put an apron over her head at the kitchen table. And every time when the apron was over her head, the kids knew that she was doing her devotional time. And they would not bother mom. I'm not saying you have to put an apron on your head. But she got creative in reading her Bible. Uh, for you busy moms, maybe it's just listening to the audio Bible. Maybe you just need to listen to that on the way to, to drive dropping your kids off at school. Just get creative. Get What are you doing to get the Bible in your soul? Number four, develop good Bible study habits. Pray. Apply. Enjoy the Word of God. Do you, do you read the Bible devotionally and see and meditate and mull on a verse that, that is helpful to you, that speaks to you in the right time? Number five, I would say it takes diligence to pursue the word of God. Uh, Proverbs talks a lot about the sluggard. The sluggard craves and gets nothing because he's unwilling to work, unwilling to lift his hand, unwilling to lift the pages of the Bible. And I think most Christians, they simply don't read the Bible because of the sin of laziness. J.C. Rowell in his book, Holiness, he said, one thing essential to growth and grace is diligence and the use of private means of grace. By these I understand such means as a man must use by himself alone, and no one can use for him. I can include under this head private prayer, private reading of scriptures, and private meditation and self-examination. The man who does not take pains about these three things must never expect to grow. 
Here are the roots of true Christianity. Wrong here, a man is wrong all the way through. Here is the whole reason that many professing Christians never seem to get on. They are careless and lazy about their private prayers. They read their Bibles but little and with very little hardiness of spirit. They give themselves no time for self-inquiry and quiet thought about the state of their souls. End quote. Are you diligent in your Bible reading? There are some days where reading the genealogies is not going to edify you much. I get that. But are you persevering through your reading of the Bible? And then I would say number six, sixth way you can improve your Bible reading is just to attend church regularly. And, and be prepared when you come to church. Are you preparing Saturday night to come to receive the food of God's word Sunday morning? The church is God's school for Bible instruction. Whether that's in Sunday school or in the Sunday sermon or discipleship, we attend church to hear the word of God. Maybe you need to read the text that is going to be preached the week before. You know, uh, when I was uh, in high school, uh, I will confess this, uh, I was a loner. <laughs> and uh, I would always used to hate eating by myself. I would normally put on my earphones find a secluded table somewhere and eat a meal before um, uh, off to class. But uh, whenever I would have a friend to enjoy the meal with, it was always more pleasant to eat that meal together than by myself. And that's the same thing on Sunday morning. When we come, we gather around God's Word and we feast on God's Word together. And we enjoy it together as a family meal. So those are six practical ways I think you can develop a desire for reading God's word. And again, if you still find out there is no desire, if there's still no desire after um, longing or for, for God's word, maybe you need to examine yourself to see whether you are a Christian. Because just like a baby who will not eat milk, there is something off with that child. So it is with a Christian who has no desire for God's word. No desire to attend to hear the word of God on preached on Sunday morning. There is something off there. 1 Corinthians 2 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ in the scriptures. We got God's revelation to us. God speaks to us. Therefore, we should desire God's words for our life. Cry out to God for mercy and open your eyes and give you a desire if you have no desire for God's word. So we looked at the is the spiritual growth it is sin these community destroying sins like malice hypocrisy envy slander we look at the means of spiritual growth is like a newborn long for the pure spiritual milk of the word of god a sign of health is you're desiring the pure spiritual milk of god's word and finally what are the blessings of spiritual growth notice verse 2 with me like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. It's an interesting phrase. You may grow up into salvation. 
So, friend, salvation is not just a past tense thing that happened at the cross 2,000 years ago. Salvation is also a dynamic and organic. So you're not only being saved from your past sins when Jesus died for the penalty of your sins on the cross, but you are being presently saved from the, the, the power of sin presently as, as we talk about sanctification. And one day you will be saved from the presence of sin. So like I said, healthy things grow. I, I want my children to grow. And, and likewise, in the church, Christians naturally should grow with God's word if they are feeding themselves rightly. If you're always feeding yourself junk food, you're not going to grow. You're going to stifle spiritual growth. But if you're feeding yourself with the pure spiritual milk of God's word, you will grow. As the word As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. See, the goal of ministry is so that you and I would be brought into maturity and conformity to Christ. And how does God do that? Through His Word. Through the preaching of His Word. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The 36-year-old who lives with mom, who has mom doing his laundry, who has mom feeding him three meals a day, there is something off there. And in the same way, Christians, if they are not growing in Christ, taking on responsibility for other believers, and always thinking about me, 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 there is something wrong with that Christian. See, when we grow up in Christ's likeness, we grow up in a sacrificial mindset. We grow up in a persevering love. We grow up in an enduring type of faith. So if you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. If you're sowing to the Spirit, which is sowing the things of the Word of God, you are going to reap spiritual blessings. So if you want to grow, the purpose of growth is spiritual maturity. We want mature disciples who make other disciples in the local church. So one benefit of spiritual growth, if you're rightly receiving the word, is spiritual maturity. Second of all, the second benefit is that you will experience God's goodness in your life. If indeed, verse 3, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Friend, for those of you who have, did not follow Christ, or you, you can think about what your life would be like if Christ never intervened in your life. I can think about my life. You know, sin always leaves a bitter taste in your mouth even though it promises temporary satisfaction. If we're not for the Lord, my life would be literally wasted. But ever since I've become a Christian, my life is full. I have a wonderful family, wonderful church family, brothers and sisters, sisters, countless Brothers and sisters in the Lord, new purpose that I do not belong to myself, but I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who has bought me. I'm his child. I'm an heir in Christ. I have a living hope when the world has gone mad. Friend, do you remember what life was like before Christ? And how God's goodness intervened in your life? Where you began to understand the goodness of the cross and what Jesus achieved for you 
bearing God's wrath in your place so that you can be a child or daughter of the king? Have you experienced that goodness? Peter is quoting from Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In the context, David is suffering and he is escaping from his enemies and God delivers him. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter, and I think what the Puritans called experiential religion is what Peter is talking about here. It's not, it's not just enough to know the facts of Scripture. It's, it's you need to taste it for yourself. You need to experience the goodness of the Word of God, the goodness of the Gospel in your life. And Peter, interestingly, applies taste and see the Lord is good, refers to the Lord Jesus, implying that Jesus is God. What happens in conversion is God gives you new taste buds. The things of the world become distasteful, and the things of God, the things, holy things, become sweet. Goodness, truth, and beauty become sweet to your soul now. That's how you know you're a Christian. Sin is distasteful and bitter for you. Now, um, before I was married... Um, I never really liked sushi. I was the California roll type of guy. Um, and then Helen, uh, my wife, she loves sushi. And then we were recommended this uh, restaurant in uh, Orange County called Oshima. And uh, this place, I, I think that these cooks, they, in the morning they wake up, they go to Japan, they get the fish, and then they come back for, for uh, the fish in the evening. Um, fatty fish the right amount of rice, like three, a pinch of salt, ponzu, uh, their homemade ponzu sauce. And uh, there's, you pay, you know, 50 bucks for like nine pieces of sushi, but it's worth it because once you put that fatty tuna or that cherry salmon or that amberjack in your mouth, when you taste it, you taste goodness. You taste goodness. And I will never look at Costco sushi the same again or Sam's Club sushi the same again because I have tasted goodness. And that is what is like with the Lord. When you begin to see that Christ has forgiven all of your sin, the Son of God bore God's wrath in your place. You are destined for eternal judgment, yet God has given you eternal life. Jesus, the sinless one, was treated as a sinner on the cross to take your place. He was dead, but now is alive because God has made him heir of all things, and he grants repentance and forgiveness for all who draw near to him by the Spirit of God. You taste goodness in your soul. Have you tasted that? And if you're not a Christian, if you find in your life that nothing, nothing satisfies you, satisfy you in this world, maybe you were looking in all the wrong places. C.S. Lewis famously said, if, if I find in this world that nothing satisfies me, maybe we were made for another world. You remember Jesus after he fed the 5,000? In John chapter 6, the people come searching for Jesus. And they come searching for Jesus to find that miraculous bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't look for the bread that is temporary and is gone tomorrow. 
But Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Have you tasted the bread of heaven in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Thomas Watson said that Christ is never loved until sin is loathed. Christ will never taste sweet to you unless, until sin tastes bitter in your mouth. If you find in this world nothing satisfies, maybe you were looking in all the wrong places. Even the good things in life like marriage and work and good things, but even those things are temporary. Or in the words of Isaiah, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which is not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Friend, if you haven't come to Christ, you come to him, your soul will be satisfied. And he will abundantly pardon you because he sent his son to die for your sins. And you have a high priest in heaven who always intercedes for you. So we feed on Christ by faith and our souls are satisfied. So what hinders spiritual growth? Sin will hinder spiritual growth. These community sins that I describe, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, what is the antidote? What is the cure? What is the means of spiritual growth? It is desiring the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. You need to remove those sins if you're going to receive the milk properly. And what are the blessings of spiritual growth? Well, it's spiritual maturity and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The psalmist David said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and may you continue to grow in maturity and Christ-likeness. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would help us examine our hearts to see if there's any wicked way in us, anything that is grievous in your sight, that we would put away these things, whether that's a sinful attitude, bitterness against brother or sister. Help us put away these things so that we would be able to receive your word and grow into Christ-likeness. Thank you that your word is good and sweet. That In the gospel, we find eternal life, the bread of heaven, who has given himself for us so that our souls would never hunger again. We would never thirst again, but in our hearts would flow living waters through the Spirit of God. 
Oh Lord, for those of us who have desires that have waned, I pray that you would renew our desire for your word. Give us, brothers and sisters, to encourage us in those desires. And may this church continue to grow. May these precious believers continue to grow by your word. And may you be glorified as we are conformed more to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.